regular work we do here and now count for eternity? Let's talk about it with author and entrepreneur Jordan Rayner on Steve Brown, etc. He's an old white guy, an author, broadcaster, and seminary professor who's sick of religion. And he's brought friends. Please welcome Steve Brown, etc. Are so glad you're here that you would take time to spend it with us is a high and holy compliment, and we take it as that. Um, in case you're wondering, I'm Steve, the aforementioned old white guy. Matthew Porter, our executive producer, is here. I don't want to say that Matthew isn't well read. But he did think to kill a mockingbird was an instruction manual. <laughs> <laughs> and our producer Jeremy's in the little glass booth. Jeremy just did an all-night sound check for a gig, so if you hear a dull thud, that's <laughs> him catching some shut-eye. Accurate. And our our one-man IT department, John Myers, is in the tech bunker. John wonders how certain beverages can be considered fully mature at 12 years. But kids, <laughs> not even close. And Dr. George Bingham is the president of Key Life. It's been so cold here in Florida... George attended a book burning just to get warm. And uh, Kathy Wyatt is the soft feminine side of the program. I think Kathy is wondering, everyone here is working. Why aren't these jokes? <laughs> Ooh. We got a great guest, and he's been here before, and some of you know about him and know we're in for a good hour. His name is Jordan Rayner, and he's a leading voice in the faith and work movement and the best-selling author of Redeeming Your Time. He also serves as the executive chairman a Threshold 360. He was selected as a Google Fellow twice, not just once, twice, and served in the White House under President George W. Bush. His newest book, which I hold in my nicotine-stained fingers, is titled The Sacredness of Secular Work, Four Ways Your Job Matters for Eternity, Even If You're Not Sharing the Gospel. Wow. And if you're not, that's a long title, man. I'm surprised. <laughs> we're, try, we're trying to set a record. I don't know if, <laughs> if you're close. <laughs> what do you mean not sharing the gospel? We're always supposed to share the gospel in every place. Every time throughout the world, whatever we do, it's the Great Commission. And then I read your book, and you go after the Great Commission. I'm not even sure you're safe. What's wrong with you? <laughs> well, hey, you endorsed it, so you're on the hook for this. No, no, no. I was smoking Dude. something at the time. I wasn't thinking straight. I just... <laughs> 
Well, hey, first of all, first off, just got to say honored to be a part of the et cetera of Steve Brown, et cetera, once again. Now, listen, I I wrote this book because I I spent all my time these days helping Christians see how their work matters for eternity. And I just got tired of every time I told a teacher or an entrepreneur or a barista that their work matters for eternity, I would hear the same response over and over. Oh, yeah, Jordan. Amen. My job is my mission field. And listen. Mm -hmm. That is, of course, gloriously true. But if the only way that our work matters for eternity is because we can use our jobs to, quote unquote, share the gospel, then frankly, the vast majority of us are wasting the vast majority of our time. How much time does the average person spend walking coworkers through the Romans Road Monday through Friday? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's be crazy generous. It's, it's three hours a month. That means 1% of your time at work matters to God. I don't know about you, but that's deeply depressing. And more importantly, it's deeply unbiblical. And I think the root of this, to your point, Steve, is our very new, very modern um, emphasis of the Great Commission at the exclusion of everything else, right? I know a lot of Christians walking around today feeling like if they did not share the gospel today, today was a throwaway in the grand scheme of eternity. And while the Great Commission is indeed great— It's a non-optional command for every follower of Jesus. It's not only, in fact, right after Jesus said, make disciples, he said, dot, 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 teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you to do. And Jesus gave us about 50 unique commands. The great commission is indeed great. It's just not only. And understanding that I think is the beginning of seeing the sacredness of our seemingly secular work. You know, what you say in this book is extremely freeing. I mean, I think Christians walk around feeling guilty that they're not sharing the gospel. And uh, I think they're preachers and teachers and professors, and I've done it on occasion, who tweak the guilt a bit to make sure they did. Now, I publicly repent of that after reading your book, But it is freeing to know that I can make widgets without having to talk about Jesus all the time. Yeah, but but here's the irony, Steve. When we make the great, when we act like the Great Commission is the only commission, we ironically become less effective at the Great Commission. Let me quickly break down why. 80% or more of evangelism in the first three centuries happened not through pastors and religious professionals, but by mere Christians working as tent makers, working as shepherds, working as entrepreneurs. And I would argue that's going to be true for at least the next couple generations when the fastest growing religious affiliation on earth is no religious affiliation. Our (laughs) our non-believing neighbors and coworkers are not darkening the door of a church to learn about Jesus for the first time. So where are they going to hear the good news? Through you and me working alongside of them. But if I sit in church on Sunday, and I'm convinced that the Great Commission is the only commission, I'm going to feel like my nine to five is a dramatic waste of time. Most dramatically, that's going to lead me to leave the job that's most effective at making disciples in this post-Christian context. But at a minimum, it's going to make me a half-hearted creature while I stay there because I see no eternal purpose in the work. And here's the irony. In the last two years that I've been seriously working on this book, I have shared the gospel more in those two years than in the 10 years prior. Why? 
Because when you under when you understand that a hundred percent of your time matters for eternity, and not just the one percent where you're walking people through the Romans road, it makes you come fully alive. And fully alive people attract the lost, like craft coffee attracts hipsters here in Central Florida. <laughs> Am I right, friends? No, you really are. You know, this I'll past weekend, that. I was uh, speaking at a small denominations pastor's breakfast and an old friend of mine of many years told me he'd started a church and i said way cool and he said do you know where it is and i said no he said it's in a brewery a brewery i said and he said not only that i'm not affiliating with any denomination because soon as i say that we're affiliated with a denomination and start using church words, nobody's going to come to my church. And uh, I've been writing him the last day or two about that particular concept. And he's saying in a different way what you're saying. The only people who are going to reach them, and I'm a religious professional and this irritates me, (laughs) is with you making widgets. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And this is Ephesians 4. What's the role of the pastorate? To equip the saints to scatter out into the world and proclaim the good news of Jesus. Churches were never meant to be cruise ships. They were meant to be aircraft carriers, right? (laughs) And I think we're being forced into a moment in time where that is going to be a necessity for being successful at the Great Commission in this post-Christian context. And listen, I lament the trend in a lot of ways of people not darkening the door of a church, but in another way, I'm excited about it because it's going to force the church to do what the church was always meant to do, scatter out into every corner of culture and creation to proclaim that Jesus is king. Oh, that's so good. In fact, every time somebody leaves the church, I rejoice. Eventually, we're going to get down to the muscle. And by the way, I just stole your comment about an aircraft carrier. I'll say, as my friend Jordan said, the first time I use it. And then I'll say, as I always say. (laughs) Brilliant. Not a cruise ship. um, Aircraft carrier. That's uh, really cool. And the surprising thing about it is that it's not only a cool statement, It's a true statement, and it has to do with where you do your nine to five, and that's what we're going to be talking about for the next uh, most of this hour, and if you're irritated, that means the Holy Spirit is convicting you, so repent and listen. At the end of this program, we're going to give an exam, so take notes. Think about these things. Your grade will depend on it. <laughs> we're, we're talking about a book, The Sacredness of Secular Work, Four Ways Your Job Matters for Eternity, Even When You're Not Sharing the Gospel. Interesting. You miss a bit of this, you'll be sorry.
Hey, thanks for listening to Steve Brown, etc. And if you're enjoying the show, chances are your friends and family would too, right? So help us spread the word by sharing a link, clicking subscribe on YouTube. And if you think about it, drop us a review on your favorite podcast platform, iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify. We're pretty much everywhere. Hey, is there one called Podblaster? I mean, it feels like there should be, right? But like no E in Blaster. Just Blaster. 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 Anyhow, that's how the colons do it. Hi, this is Steve Brown. And in case you didn't know, one of the main reasons Key Life exists is to remind believers that God isn't mad at his children. Why am I telling you this? Because our weekly email, Key Life Connection, takes the best of the videos, articles, and puts them right in your inbox. We'd love for you to try it. It's free. Go to keylife.org slash subscribe. Speaker, super entrepreneur Jordan Rayner. If he really loved Jesus, he would be ordained, <laughs> and we wouldn't call him just Mister uh, uh, Rayner. We would call him Reverend. But they're second-class citizens in the kingdom, and he's, <laughs> he's one of this, proudly. <laughs> the book is titled "The Sacredness of Secular Work: Four Ways Your Job Matters for Eternity, Even When You're Not Sharing the Gospel." Jordan, I typically do not like uh, introductions to books. I find them boring. Um, you know. It's kind of <laughs> like get me to whatever it is you're going to talk about, and don't explain to me why you, you know, wanted to do this. But um, you proved me wrong because I had a hard time getting past the introduction. And you've already covered most of this. I was really captivated by the when did the Great Commission become the only commission, and and you've touched on that already. But there, one of the things you talk about, and I have two questions. Um, one of the things you talk about in there is how in the early no days, fair. I know, right? <laughs> one of the things you talk about in there is in the early days, you know, it wasn't like that. And then it got to or almost like, I mean, you don't give a month, day and year, but you got to a specific time where the trend began to change a little bit. Would you, because I think some people, yeah. um, this may get people to really want to read it, especially if they find out the introduction is almost as good as the rest of the book. Can you just kind of encapsulate that a little bit? When, when did this trend begin to happen? Yeah, I'd be more than happy to. I'm so glad you asked, Kathy. This idea that the Great Commission is the singular mission of the Christian life is brand spanking new in church history. Listen to what three members of the uber-conservative Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary said. Quote, before at least the 17th century, the Great Commission was largely ignored when discussing the church's missional assignment, end quote. This is mind-boggling me. So the question is, how in the world did we get to this point? And I would argue there's a lot of reasons why we got to this point. But one of them has to do with the term that we've assigned to Jesus' command to make disciples. And that term, Great Commission, let's not forget, is not a part of the original biblical manuscripts. It is a man-made heading that, as the preface to my NIV Bible warns, is, quote, not to be regarded as the biblical text, end quote. And that term doesn't even show up in popular print 
until the late 1800s when Hudson Taylor invented it to recruit people to serve as missionaries in China. Listen, the term Great Commission is not a part of the inerrant word of God. It is simply the catchiest marketing slogan of the modern missions movement. Now, the command itself, that's a totally different story. Hudson Taylor was right when he said the Great Commission is not an option to be considered. It is a command to be obeyed. But again, the Great Commission isn't the singular mission of the Christian life. Our mission is far greater, extending God's glory, not just to human souls, but to every square inch of this creation God calls very good. Mm. And and the second part, I'm probably stealing yeah. this from somebody, but I read it um, in chapter one, um, and I thought it was so interesting. Um, could you tell the story about um, Victor Boutros and the human trafficking? That that just blew me away. Yeah. Well, this uh, it it blows me away too, and it shows uh, it's a great case study in the dangers of treating the Great Commission as the only commission. So, my friend Victor Boutros. I really believe is one of the few entrepreneurs that history is going to remember a hundred years from now, because this guy and his team at the human trafficking Institute are decimating modern slavery in our lifetime. So check out this statistic. So basically what HTI does is they partner with governments in developing countries to set up specialized law enforcement units to prosecute human traffickers. The problem isn't that there's not laws on the books against human trafficking. There are laws on the books in every country in the world. The issue is enforcement. So they come in, they set up these enforcement units, and listen to this statistic. In Uganda alone, HTI's work led to a 225% increase in the number of human traffickers prosecuted one year after beginning work in the country. That's mind-boggling. So fast forward. So uh, there's this guy on Victor's team named Miles, who's a friend of mine. And Miles is always trying to raise money for the Human Trafficking Institute and from a lot of Christians, right? And so Miles tells me this story about a pitch he had with a really wealthy Christian prospective donor. We'll, We'll call him Richard. I actually don't know the guy's real name. I'm making up his name. His name is Richard. And Miles is telling Richard about this incredible impact in Uganda. And Richard's like, Mind blown, like you guys, like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to give money to HDI. And so Miles is like, I'm, I'm sure this guy's going to write a check. But before he does, Richard leans across the table. He's like, hey, real quick, before I commit, just, can you just confirm this is a Christian organization, right? Like you guys are sharing the gospel with these victims. And my buddy Miles was like, no, like I'm a Christian. Our founder is a Christian, but we legally can't share the gospel with these victims because we've got an official relationship with the government. Well, that was not the answer that Richard was looking for. The meeting was over. Richard was out. And listen to what Miles told me. I want to read this quote verbatim because it killed me. Miles said, quote, Jordan, I was flabbergasted, but sadly, there are many Christians like Richard who don't see how pulling kids out of brothels matters to God. It's as if the physical redemption of these kids is totally irrelevant unless it also leads to their spiritual redemption, end quote. And Mm. listen, we can read something like that and be really critical of Richard, but I got to say Richard's decision is logical. 
if the Great Commission is the only commission of the church, if the only thing Jesus called us to do is save souls, then justice does not matter. Beauty does not matter. Pulling kids out of brothels does not matter unless we can leverage those things to the instrumental end of sharing the gospel. But we know in our bones, in our Bibles, that that's not true. The God of justice delights in the work that the Human Trafficking Institute is doing and the work that you are doing, simply making lattes, building businesses, changing diapers for his glory and the good of others. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Mm. Yeah, preach. You want to say something and kind of set up the Gosh. next segment? Yeah, you know, it kind of keys off of that. Um, you know, <clears throat> I don't know if this is, this is not in the book, but the uh, that movie Chariots of Fire, and I haven't seen it in forever, but the, the runner who says, when I run, I feel God's pleasure. And you speak yeah. to that in the book. But I've experienced that, and way before reading the book, and, you, and just in a vague way, you're like, this has to mean something. This has to mean something, because I don't only find satisfaction in what I'm doing personally. I feel God smiling on this, and this is just a beautiful expression of why we have that sense. Oh, man. Guys, this is good stuff. And it's not just good, it's really important stuff for every Christian to remember. If we would read this book and apply it in the places where God has put us, we're light and salt. We could change the world. But every time you wave the flag and tell them they're going to hell if they don't change, uh, you set us back. We could have an awakening, a big one, if you read this book. Hey, thanks for listening to Steve Brown, etc. And if you're enjoying the show, would you help us let others know about it? You can share a link, click subscribe on our YouTube channel, or drop us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Thanks much. Hi, this is Steve Brown, and I'm excited to tell you about a new offer from Key Life called Living with Steve. Let me tell you the way it works. I travel with you wherever you go. If you need an entertaining conversation or even a sermon, there I am. That's the good news. The bad news is that it costs a million bucks. (laughs) But wait, there's good news. You can get everything I've just described with the Key Life app. And for a limited time, it's not a million dollars. It's free. Try it now at keylife.org slash app. Thanks for being with us. We're hanging out with author and speaker and entrepreneur, entrepreneur Jordan Rayner. Uh, by the way, you can keep up with him at jordanrayner.com and on X, formerly Twitter, at Jordan Rayner. I mean, you ought to be more creative. (laughs) (laughs) Harry Schwartz or something? (laughs) I know. I like it. Jordan, before the break, I was uh, talking about this this sense of feeling God's pleasure when you're doing, you know, uh, big projects, little projects, little tiny details of tiny projects. When I put care into it, 
and we kind of work like craftsmen. I only feel really good, and I really do get the sense that God is pleased with that anonymous labor over that. And then I look at chapter 3, it's called How to Contribute to God's Eternal Pleasure, Even If You're Not Changing the World. So what does that mean exactly, and like, how do we actually put that idea into practice in a 9-to-5 situation? Yeah, man. I love this question, Matthew. So, you know, worship is one of those churchy words uh, that's used so much. I don't think anybody can agree on its meaning anymore. I've literally read dozens of definitions of this word, but my favorite by far comes from Pastor Rick Warren, who says that worship is simply bringing pleasure to God, right? So that pleasure you feel when you do that thing that you know you were meant to do, or even that menial task that you just do with excellence and love, when you feel God's pleasure, that is real. And that's not just my opinion. Let's look at the scriptures. Check out Psalm 37, 23. It says that the Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. In other words, God doesn't just delight in watching you give money to the poor or share the gospel or write a check to the missionary on your refrigerator. He delights in watching you design a website, build a home, or close a deal. Any of that that you do with excellence and love and in a godly way, is it literally an ingredient to the eternal pleasure? Of God, Not that he needs us to contribute to his pleasure, but in his goodness, he allows for us to contribute to that. So the question, of course, is, all right, how do I bring God pleasure more in the job I already have and in the sacredness of secular work? I give you five ways to do that. But one that's really been resonating with readers is this. You want to bring God pleasure while you work? Work with him and not just for him. Right? I think we'd all say we're living our lives and doing our work for God and for his mission, but don't neglect communing with him and inviting him into every detail in your day. And in the book, I give readers 24 practices to make their work matter more for eternity, and one of them is directly related to this idea of working with God. It's creating an email address for your prayers which sounds ridiculous, but I love this idea. It's from a friend of mine who was working at Hilton at the time. And she's like, Jordan, I would go into meetings and uh, be confronted with these huge projects that I had no idea how to do. And so one day I just created a, a random Gmail address. I think it was called like Jenna's work prayers at gmail.com. And Jenna would just shoot an email with her prayer to that email address as a way of practically doing her work with God and not just for him. And I believe that is undoubtedly contributing to God's eternal pleasure because God doesn't need us to do his work. He wants us. We are his children. And so we please him simply by communing with him and talking to him throughout our day. Mm -hmm. And now Jenna is probably on the FBI watch list. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> Triggered Poor something Jenna. in the that, that email inbox yeah, is well, getting blown up right now. Yeah. Jordan, I feel like the uh, there are a couple of things that were really, I thought, helpful and insightful in kind of the way you outlined some things. So these are big chunks of the book, but I wonder if you can kind of maybe summarize and connect them. One was the um, abridged gospel versus the unabridged gospel. And then you talk about half-truths of heaven. 
that we yeah. have. And it seemed like you could kind of connect those if you summarized a lot. Yeah, I think I could. Here we go. Let's try it. So I would argue the abridged gospel is the dominant version of Jesus's good news we preach today. It goes something like this. The gospel is the good news that Jesus came to save you and me from our sins. And while every word of that statement is gloriously true, that is a tragically incomplete version of the gospel that Jesus preached. The gospel is not just good news for my life, as Tim Keller once said. The gospel is good news for the world, the spiritual realm, and the material realm. And why does that matter to you today, listener? Here's why it matters. If Jesus only came to save our souls, then the only thing you do of eternal consequence is save souls. But if Jesus came to redeem the spiritual and the material realms, then my work with the spiritual and the material world, typing on aluminum MacBooks, planting gardens and building homes must matter for eternity because Jesus' blood paid to redeem those things for all of eternity. That's the really, really tight summary uh, and answer to that question, George. Great question. Guys, we're just scratching the surface here, and we, I mean, we're gonna have to, we're gonna have to have Jordan back for another three or four hours, and then we'll probably say we're just scratching. We've got to get this book, and you need to form a group in your church where you can discuss it and ask questions and flush it out. The title is rather long; barely can get it on the cover. The Sacredness of Secular Work, Four Ways Your Job Matters for Eternity, Even When You're Not Sharing the Gospel. Hey, thanks for listening to Steve Brown, etc. And if you're enjoying the show, chances are your friends and family would too, right? So help us spread the word by sharing a link, clicking subscribe on YouTube. And if you think about it, drop us a review on your favorite podcast platform, iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, we're pretty much everywhere. Hey, is there one called Podblaster? I mean, it feels like there should be, right? But like no E in Blaster, just Blaster, Blaster, Blaster. Anyhow, that's how the colons do it. When Christ promised we could live life to the full, he didn't just mean eventually in heaven, because Jesus didn't come to save us from our humanity, but to restore it. Life with a capital L. Find it now on keylife.org slash store. What if you could start your day by hanging out in God's Word and with some of the most significant theologians, authors, and pastors ever? That's the idea behind the one-year devotional, God With Us. Find it now on keylife.org slash store. First of all, bless your heart. <laughs> Secondly, you might enjoy the conversations we have off uh, air. We cuss and spit and tell dirty jokes. Actually, we really don't. We, <laughs> we capture that, however. The, the part you don't see and hear on the program in a new video series called SBE Insider. And it's free for our weekly email subscribers. So you might want to check it out at keylife.org slash 
subscribe. Uh, Jordan, I put forth the, the challenge for a couple of, and you ended it so well in the first one by giving a, a nice, concise bite of that. But um, the challenge of putting together some big concept outlines that you uh, have in the book, the distinguishing between the abridged and the unabridged gospel, and talking about the half-truths of heaven. If you could expand a little more on that. Yeah, let's talk about these half-truths. You know, my experience, George, um, and this was me for a long time, most Christians spend more time thinking about a one-week vacation than they do thinking about eternity. <laughs> that's a problem for a lot of reasons, but <laughs> mostly because it inevitably leads us to settle for these wishy-washy half-truths about heaven peddled by culture rather than the whole truths that we see in Scripture. And in the sacredness of secular work, I'm trying to help readers move from half-truth to whole truth on five of these. Let's just unpack a couple. Number one, this half-truth that Earth is our temporary home, uh, kind of true, right? But the whole truth is that Earth is our temporary home until Jesus comes and makes it our perfect, redeemed, and permanent home, right? One of the other half-truths that I talk about in the book is this half-truth that we will worship for all of eternity. And I call this half-true because our definition of worship is at least half-true. Genesis 2 says that Adam and Eve were worshiping God as they worked the Garden of Eden. And the same will be true for you and I on that perfect permanent home we will call the new earth. God's word does not say we will be in an eternal Hillsong service for eternity or recline in a hammock for all of eternity. Revelation 22.5 says that we will, quote, reign forever and ever, end quote, with Christ on the new earth, which is exactly what we were meant to do since Genesis 1. And there's this beautiful passage in Isaiah chapter 65 that makes this a little bit more concrete and helps us understand what it's going to mean to reign forever and ever with Christ. Listen to Isaiah 65, 17 and 21 through 23. God says, see, I'll create a new heavens and a new earth. My people will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. My chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands and they will not labor in vain. Hmm. Man, if you love your job, that vision should fire you up for the eternal heaven on earth. And even if you hate your job, it should fire you up because there's coming a day when work will be what God always intended it to be. Perfect worship, perfect bliss, challenging, but satisfying, difficult, but fruitful, all honey, and no bees. So those are just two of the five half truths about heaven that we're unpacking in this book. It's such good material. <laughs> you sure are taking it away from me, though. The only thing I do is preach, do religion. I'm the most Yikes. religious person you know, and I kind of feel useless here. I, you know, I kind of feel like I ought to learn how to use a saw at least because somebody – it's got to build those houses and they'll make me a, a gopher 
uh, in no, there. No, 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 because you'll know what to do when well, you get to heaven. Well, you'll yeah, have a lot well, of time. They're not going to let me preach. Yeah, you're like, we got <laughs> it, Doc. What, what <laughs> we got it. We're, We're all set there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you're go, for your eternity. Go, go make yourself useful. <laughs> go set up chairs, Steve. Yeah, <laughs> in the scope of eternity, you could learn how to... Oh, yeah. yeah. a lot of time to practice. learn a lot of things. Yeah, absolutely. You could take your notes with you when you go. Just in case? Just in case, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, Jordan, I want to ask while we have just a few minutes left, um, the sacredness of secular work, the title, um, kind of provocative, but as we've discussed here, absolutely backed up by everything that you've talked about and Scripture itself. Would you talk a little bit about how you landed on that title and, and, and what that yeah. means? Yeah, man. So if we're being honest, right, you, you've come up with titles like this to poke the bear a little bit and get mm-hmm. people like Steve Brown, et cetera, to ask you to come explain what the heck you're talking about, right? <laughs> no, but more seriously, listen, that word secular literally means with no regard to religion or without God. But hey, Steve Brown and et cetera, we all believe that God is literally with us. Wherever we go through the power of the Holy Spirit, amen? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the only thing we need to do <laughs> to instantly make our secular schools, our secular workplaces sacred is walk through the front door or log on to Zoom, right? Now, clearly some work is totally off limits for Christ followers, but I'm going to go ahead and assume that our audience is not making a living peddling pornography or <laughs> exploiting the poor, And if that's true, and you are seeking first the kingdom of God in all things, then in the words of the great preacher Charles Spurgeon, quote, nothing is secular. Everything is sacred, end quote. There's no question about the sacredness of our seemingly secular work. I think the more interesting and life-changing question is, what are you going to do about it? (laughs) Knowing that God cares about how you spend 100% of your time at work, what are you going to do to redeem that time and make your work matter as much as humanly possible on the other side of the veil currently separating heaven and earth? Oh, man. That's so refreshing. I can hardly... I can hardly stand it. You know, when you're as religious as I am, you begin to think that everything is religious. And all of a sudden, you realize it is. Everything, uh, nothing is secular because God is the God of it all. Um, Jordan, we're running out of time. You have 15 seconds Say something profound, and then we'll quit. <laughs> I'll just reiterate Psalm 37, 23. The Lord directs the steps of the godly, delights in every detail of your life. Don't let anyone fool you into believing he only cares about the spiritual things you do. He cares about everything you do with excellence and love and in a godly way. And let that fuel your obedience and your hope today. Now that dog will hunt. Mm-hmm. Hey, Jordan, thanks for taking this hour. You're a delight and you're fun. And I've finally decided that you're also saved. (laughs) (laughs) So so get the book, The Sacredness of Secular Work. Four ways your job matters for eternity, even when you're not sharing the gospel. 
it would be a wonderful study for a group in your church. And you'll find that if you set up that group, that the people in it will rise up and call you blessed. Hey, Jordan, thanks so much. Thank you, guys. Hey, thanks for listening to Steve Brown, etc. And if you're enjoying the show, would you help us let others know about it? You can share a link, click subscribe on our YouTube channel, or drop us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Thanks much. What if you could start your day by hanging out in God's Word and with some of the most significant theologians, authors, and pastors ever? That's the idea behind the one-year devotional, God With Us. Find it now on keylife.org store. This is Pete Allenson, and if you're a guy, I want to show you how to recover and reclaim an intimate, growing relationship with your Heavenly Father. Check out Like Father, Like Son, How Knowing God as Father Changes Men. Available now at keylife.org store. Believer, I want you to remember that where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. And you will run out of sin before God runs out of grace. Grace, the real good news of the gospel. Find it now on keylife.org store. guest and our it, it, every time he's on um, he does that to me I start thinking in ways that are kind of big uh, really big you know most of us think that you do religious stuff in religious places and with the smell of incense and everybody looking religious that's not what this is all about. And we've been r- roped in to a building as if that was what the kingdom is about. And it's really a not. It's about your widget making. You're building houses. You're carrying garbage. Uh, you're planting flowers. Whatever you do, it's so important that Christians need to realize that all they have to do is show. When Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, but Christ lives in me, he wasn't giving us a command to be crucified. He wasn't saying, look, if you want to do this, work at letting Christ live through you. He's stating a fact, a fact of what it means to be a Christian. And so don't do anything. Do your work and show up and do it well. Because believe it or not, you smell like Jesus. Even when you're a sinner, even when you blow it, even when you you still smell like Jesus and you can't help it. So uh, what Jordan was saying is uh, common sense if you get that. And it's true. Leaven in the loaf is so important. A bunch of leaven in a house with a cross hanging up front is just a bunch of leaven. And so go do something. Be with people. Don't back away from the secular, quote, secular, unquote. Stick your nose in it and be present and see what happens. Good book. You ought to get it. Who's going to be here next week? 
Next week, our dear longtime friend, Buddy Green, is going to mm. be with us. No books, just banjos. Banjos and, <laughs> and harmonicas harmonica and, and guitars. <laughs> and Steve's going to bring his guitar and... Oh yeah! Oh, let's do it. Oh, let's do a jam. <laughs> can I bring my upright bass? Jeremy can bring his bass. I'll you bring know. the harmonica. I can't play it, but I'll bring, bring it. You know, I'll bring actually, a yeah, We gotta find some songs we can use without being sued by ASCAP use or buddies. BMI. Yeah, yeah from let's the play some buddies songs. Grace <laughs> from the moment. Grace for the moment. Yeah, yeah. gotta do that. Hey guys, you be sure and be here next week, same time, same place. It's going to be a fun time with one of my favorite people. And between now and then, don't do anything we wouldn't. And that gives you a wide, wide berth.